Well, Carl, thank you for joining us uh, over these three weeks and uh, opening up God's Word and talking to us uh, on this topic of, of Never Alone. Um, this is the last time we're going to interview you uh, here at Christchurch this year at least. And uh, I really wanted to uh, do some digging to actually find out <laughs> who you were. And in my digging, Carl, I uncovered something. I uncovered something that actually shocked me, that I actually wasn't prepared to read or understand. But it was, when you were 15, uh, you actually got arrested. Arrested? Is that, is that right? Did he really just say he got arrested? You did. He did. I yes. did. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, what did you get arrested for? Yeah, it was, um, it was shoplifting. Uh, I was trying to steal some remote control cars. And I'm the worst thief in the world. Didn't even get them out of the shop. Uh, pretty ordinary. And I, I'm not proud of the fact that um, I was stealing and I was arrested for it. But God used that. To save me. So in a weird kind of way, I'm kind of thankful for it. How, how, did, God, how did God use that moment when you were 15 to, to bring you to know him? Yeah, yeah. Well, up until that point, I, I had the classic Australian view of Christianity. That is that it's all about being good enough for God. You know, so you know, God's pass mark, I, I consider, would be about a 50%. Most of the tests at school were like that. So I figured um, I needed to be good enough to, to make it into heaven and I was aiming for 51%, and then getting arrested, I kind of went, uh-oh, definitely below the pass mark now. And it really scared me. I I, I seriously believed in God and believed that he would judge, and I didn't want to go to hell. I I wanted to go to heaven. Um, And so I thought, what can I do to get back in God's good books? I know, I'll go to church, then God will like me. Again, I didn't have any idea, I was all wrong. But fortunately for me, when I turned up at this church... There were a couple of guys just a couple of years older than me who said, you realize you've got no idea about Christianity. You're all wrong. And they opened the Bible with me and they showed me that it was all about Jesus and his death on the cross and said, you can't be good enough, but you can be forgiven. And I knew how much I needed forgiveness. So that was the best news I've ever heard. Well, that's, that's just, I think that's just a wonderful story of how, how God works through very strange ways. And, and praise God for those older guys, just a couple yeah. of years older than you, who got alongside you and opened up the Word and explained that to you. I praise, praise God for that. And now, Carl, 15 was a couple of years ago, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, how has uh, your Christianity helped you, your, your, your trust in Jesus helped you during this difficult time of lockdown? Yeah, I think one of the hard things about lockdown is that the world just shrinks down upon you and your world becomes your house or even your room maybe. Um, I've found it really helpful to have a point of reference beyond even this world. It's great to have a God who is above everything, who I can pray to, who I can listen to as I read his word, who uh, speaks into every situation, even the hardship of lockdown and COVID. So I've found that really helpful to have something bigger beyond just the, uh, the shrinking world of my house. Well, it can be uh, getting quite small, and sometimes in the, that small house, the relationships can be a bit frayed. And, and really, that's what you're going to be talking on a bit tonight, is you know, restoring relationships, how that ultimate relationship has been restored, yeah. and how that helps us in our relationships here uh, in the present. Well, I'm going to open up God's Word for us now. And, and read from Ephesians chapter 4 as you prepare to speak to us. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, or it'll come up on the screen and you can follow along. Also, I want to draw your attention to the fact that 
after the sermon, after the talk, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions. And uh, on, the, on the screen in front of us here is the website you can go to to ask your questions, which Carl will answer after the talk during the Q&A. And if he doesn't get all your questions, he'll do the rest of them, or most of them, uh, on, our, on our Facebook page. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in, in, in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Christians are killjoys. God doesn't want anyone to have any fun. And the Bible is just a set of rules and regulations to make your life miserable. You've probably heard the caricatures, haven't you? A lot of people really think that the Christian ethics of the Bible are all about stopping people from having fun. Let me show you a classic example from a few years ago in The Guardian. It was when Mike Baird was Premier of New South Wales, and he also happens to be a committed Christian. But when Mike Baird's government put in place a lockdown to curb alcohol-fueled violence in the city of Sydney, the caricatures flowed thick and fast. Who were Sydney's fun police? The author of the article doesn't leave you guessing. Let me read to you just a couple of uh, words from the article up on the screen. The puritanical policy settings from the New South Wales Liberals are more like pre-First World War Temperance League values. But in 2016, they are put in place by stealth policy measures, firmly pushed by quiet evangelicals such as Baird. And if we skip down to the last paragraph, I think that many voters such as myself are right to feel hoodwinked. When I voted, I thought I was voting for the economy. I didn't see the fine print for fundamentalist Christian government next to the tick box. 
The whole article just went on and on. It was firmly against the lockdown laws in Sydney. It kept pushing the same line. It was because the Premier was a Christian that he wanted to lock down Sydney and stop people from having fun. The author said it wasn't a war on crime, it was a war on sin. Is that really what Christianity is all about? Are the Christian ethics of the Bible really all about stopping people from having fun? Because if that is the case, you would have to say that God's commands are anti-social. This issue is important for us to think it out today because over the past three weeks, we've been thinking about this issue of disconnection. And if the premise of this article is right, and Christian values are actually antisocial, all about stopping people from having fun, then how can I argue that reconnecting with God is going to help you reconnect with other humans? As we've been thinking about this problem of disconnection, we saw in talk one that it was not just a COVID problem. We saw that some of the disconnection that we feel has come from the way that we treat each other. And the Bible showed us that the way we treat each other is often motivated by our own selfish desires. Last week in talk two, we saw that our connection problem is not just with each other. Because of the way we've treated each other, we also now have a connection problem with God. When we hurt each other, we've not just wronged each other, we've also wronged the God who created us, who cares about us, and who has spoken about the way he wants us to treat each other. So our disconnectedness with each other is directly linked with our disconnectedness to God. But last week we also saw there was some good news. God has gone out of his way to reconnect with people like you and me. Because God loves his people, he sent his own son to fix the problem of disconnection. Through Jesus' death on the cross... God offers us forgiveness and reconciliation. Now that forgiveness and reconciliation with God obviously fixes our disconnect problem with God, but does it offer us anything in terms of our disconnectedness with each other? Can that reconciliation with God help us to better connect with each other? Or is that Guardian journalist right? Does connecting with God mean joining the fun police and becoming antisocial and more disconnected from people around us? Let's have a look at another helpful passage from the Bible, the passage that was just read for us, and we're at point one, beliefs and behavior. Grab your uh, Bible or have a look at the screen. Let's read those first couple of verses again, from verses 17 to 19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now you probably know that the word Gentile is a term used to describe anyone who isn't Jewish. Now, this letter that we are looking at was written to Christians who lived in Ephesus. That is in the area that we now call Turkey. So don't get offended by Paul's language here. Most of the people that Paul was writing to had been Gentiles before they put their trust in Jesus. What is Paul saying about Gentiles? In pretty stark language, Paul is saying that their beliefs shape their behavior. 
It's a fairly uncontroversial fact that your beliefs shape your behavior. In business, on the sporting field, at home, everywhere, your actions are shaped by what you believe. We're seeing it right now in the vaccine rollout, aren't we? If you don't believe that COVID is real, you won't be lining up for a vaccine. If you believe that taking the vaccine is less risky than contracting COVID, you probably will be lining up for the vaccine. It's fairly uncontroversial to say that a person's beliefs generally shape their behavior. And as the Jewish people throughout history, throughout their history, looked at the Gentile nations around them, they saw actions that, well, demonstrated a lack of understanding about the true God. So, for example, they looked at the Canaanites who worshipped a God called Moloch, and they watched the horrific religious practice of child sacrifice to appease Moloch. And they said, these people don't know the true God. That's the logic in these verses. If you don't know the true God, your actions won't be shaped by his commands. If you're in the dark about God, that darkness will shape your behavior. But these verses hold out promise of light in terms of coming to know God and living differently. Let's have a read of it, verses 20 to 24. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here is the possibility of change. These verses are holding out the possibility of change for people who've been living in the dark about God. And it all starts, this change, it all starts with hearing about Christ. That's step one in a relationship with Jesus. Now we talked last week about the gospel, which is the important facts about Jesus. His creation of us, our rebellion against him, the judgment we deserve for that rebellion, then his death in our place to take our judgment, his resurrection as the great king of all the world, and then our opportunity to put our faith in him and be forgiven by God and reconciled to God. Those are the important facts about Jesus that we need to hear in order to put our trust in Jesus and to be saved by him. It's through hearing those important facts about Jesus that we can believe in him and have true reconciliation with God. And these verses promise that coming to know Jesus in this way can change your life. The language is beautiful. Did you notice it? You can put off your old way of life with all the old actions and attitudes. And you can put on a whole new way of life that is shaped by God's values of, of righteousness and holiness. Does that sound like something that you would like to do in your life? We're going to drill down a little bit more into this life change. So we're at point two, Jesus changes lives. God transforms lives first and foremost through the cross of Jesus. What Jesus did for us at the cross is the life-changing power of God. So please make sure you get this right. 
It's not that you and I need to try and get our act together, get our behavior right, and then God might somehow be happy enough to save us. That's not true Christianity. The true facts about Jesus are that God saves people like you and me through nothing else except Jesus' death on the cross and us putting our trust in that death. So it's not that behavior change leads to salvation. It's that salvation leads to behavior change. So let's have a look at some of the behavior change that Jesus can bring about in your life. Let's have a look. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Well, how important is truth in a relationship? Sadly, I think you already know from hard personal experience of the opposite. You know how much damage lies can do to a relationship. So if a relationship with Jesus can help someone change from living by lies to speaking the truth, do you think that's antisocial or is it perhaps social? But of course you could spin it the other way, couldn't you? God is demanding that I don't lie anymore. What a killjoy. How am I going to have any fun if I can't lie? What right have the fun police to stop me from lying? Truth or falsehood? What would you like from the people that you are connected with? And what do you think they would like from you? Look at what else the relationship with Jesus can help you with. Have a look at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now you probably know what unrestrained anger can do to a relationship. And again, if God can help people control their anger more appropriately and deal with it more appropriately, is that antisocial? Or is that social? Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why that command? The goal is reconciliation, isn't it? Rather than letting anger fester and damage relationships long term, God has shown us that reconciliation is a much better alternative. In fact, God has shown us how to reconcile anger by the way that he has reconciled with us. God has shown us how good it is when relationships are reconciled through repentance and forgiveness. The pattern continues in verse 28. Have another look. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. It's the same logic again, isn't it? When God saves people through Jesus... He desires that they stop their antisocial behavior and start more social behavior. And it's pretty, pretty clear that stealing from people, that's pretty antisocial. And generously sharing with people, well, that's about as social as you can get. Can you imagine what this particular change could do in a relationship? In the last year, you may have followed the Melissa Caddock tragedy. It appears that through lies and deception, Melissa Caddock has stolen up to $25 million from her friends and even from her family. Fun fact, Melissa Caddock attended both my primary school and my high school in the year above me. There's a quality education for you. 
I'm sure you can imagine the life skills that both Melissa and I picked up at these great schools. And isn't that the best primary school uniform you have ever seen? Every single boy is the yellow wiggle. But all joking aside, whatever happened to Melissa was a tragic end to a life that had gotten out of control on lies and theft. Can you see that lies and theft are the kind of antisocial behaviours that can destroy relationships and destroy lives? The passage continues with the same pattern again. Next, it's what the Bible calls unwholesome talk. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, we can be very antisocial in the way we speak to others or about others when they're not around. But God changes lives through Jesus so that we can speak differently. Speak words that build people up rather than tear them down. Then as we get to the end of our passage, there's a whole list of disconnecting behavior that God's people can put off and replace it with a whole list of behavior that builds connections with the people around us. Have a look, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So you need to make the call. Is God all about stopping you from having fun? Is God anti-social? Is God just trying to make your life miserable? Or is it possible that God is actually able to help you build real connections with other people through the life-changing salvation that he offers? Just before we move on to our last point today, there are two very interesting verses that we've kind of had to rush over quickly. Let me read them to you, and then we're going to have a quick think about them. The first one is verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The second one, it's verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What we have here are two very powerful influences on our lives. The devil wants evil and more antisocial behavior. You and I can give him more of an opportunity in our lives by just living out that antisocial behavior that he loves. Or we can seek to live by the desires of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is grieved by those kinds of antisocial behaviors in the life of someone who's been saved by Jesus. But can you imagine how much God's Holy Spirit loves to help us live out those behaviors that encourage good relationships and promote reconciliation? So my question to you, whose influence do you want shaping your life? We're at our last point tonight, point three, can Jesus change your life? The bottom line is this, Jesus changes lives. And it all starts with God's forgiveness. That fact is driven home by the last verse in our passage. Would you have a look at it just once, one more time? Verse 32. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God forgives people like you and like me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God offers this forgiveness freely because Jesus has already paid the price dearly through his death on the cross. A changed life starts with God's forgiveness, which allows reconnection with God, relationship with the God who made us. But did you see where that verse then takes this? If God has shown us forgiveness, then we can learn from him and forgive others. We can pass it on, pay it forward, call it whatever you want. But make sure you see that God gives us forgiveness first so that we can then follow him and give that forgiveness to others. But you don't need this forgiveness if you prefer to keep fighting. If you would rather keep fighting it out with God and fighting it out with everyone else in your life, then forgiveness is useless to you. Forgiveness is only for people who want to end the fighting. Through Jesus, you can stop fighting with God. And then, through Jesus, you can work on the fighting in all of those other hard relationships in your life. Work on getting rid of it, ending the fights there. Forgiveness really is beautiful because it can end the fighting. So can I ask you, who do you want to be? What kind of human do you want to be? You can keep accusing God and Christians of being antisocial. You can keep arguing that God's wisdom just kills all the fun in life. You can keep pretending that God is antisocial, that God is a killjoy. But I suspect you might have seen the weakness of that argument today. I wonder whether you've actually seen today that God is actually all about good relationships of connection between God and us and between us and each other. God has gone out of his way to offer reconciliation to us through the beautiful forgiveness won by Jesus at the cross. And then that forgiveness and God's wise commands can start changing our connectedness with each other, one relationship at a time. God is not antisocial towards you, but there is a strong possibility that you might still be antisocial towards God. If you want to change that, God would love you to accept his offer of forgiveness available in a relationship with Jesus. You don't need to stay in the dark about God. So can I encourage you to explore this area a bit more? We don't want you to make a rushed decision about whether to follow Jesus or not. That is why this church offers that great Share Life course, which is so helpful for thinking further about these important things. The Share Life course allows you to connect with other people who are also wanting to explore this area of faith and life. So can I encourage you, don't die wondering on this one. Invest just a few hours in this course to look a little bit more deeply into the facts and to check Jesus out for yourself. In a minute, you'll have a chance to say hi and to let us know that you're interested in doing the Share Life course. But now I'm going to finish by, uh, by praying. Please pray with me. 
Our Father God, we are sorry for the unhelpful ways that we've treated you and many of the people that we love. Thank you for not leaving us in the mess of our disconnected lives. And thank you for offering us reconciliation by sending Jesus to die for our forgiveness. Please help us to respond the right way to what Jesus has done for us. And please continue to teach us about these beautiful actions that strengthen relationships and promote peace. We pray this through Jesus, our only Saviour. Amen. Well, Carl, we have loved having you with us these three weeks, and I've really especially loved doing this Q&A with you each week and getting to engage with what you guys are asking. Um, it's so valuable that we can talk about this together, even separated online, uh, that you can still send in your questions. And we have some really good ones. Excellent. So I'm going to ask my first one. This says, Carl, do you seriously believe that non-Christians are characterized by the behaviors set out in verses 19 and 20? I've met many so-called Christians who live this way. Yeah, good question. Um, I think I want to say, not just non-Christians, but everyone. That is us all before we are changed by Jesus, in a sense. So I don't want to say it's just other people. It's, it's me. It's you, Rach. Before Jesus changes us, that is us. Um, a French philosopher once said that humans are so complex, at the same time we're both the glory and the garbage of the universe. I think you look around you and you see that. And now we, I think we're better at seeing ourselves as the glory of the universe than we are at seeing ourselves as the garbage of the universe. Sometimes it's really hard to take a good, long, hard look at yourself and go, yep, there's some stuff I see that I don't really like. Um, and so I, I'm going to trust God's word on this one, that what you believe shapes how you behave. And if Jesus hasn't changed you, well... What is shaping your behavior? What is, what is it that uh, you are living by? And I take it that, well, there's going to be things that uh, you're going to struggle with that you would rather not have in your life. Uh, I know that from personal experience. So you're saying then that you might agree with this person that there, there might be some people who call themselves Christian who... Absolutely. Um, Christians are, are not... Christians are saved overnight in a sense. When they put their trust in Jesus, saved, reconciled, forgiven, it's beautiful. But that work of putting off the old and putting on the new, that, that's a lifetime. And so, in a sense, every Christian you meet is still a work in progress. And sometimes they're going to hurt you and do things that you'd really rather they didn't. I hope they'll be good at repenting at that point and apologizing to you and seeking your forgiveness. And that's where, you know, in a sense we've been talking... God offering us forgiveness, teaching us about reconciliation, helps you with a Christian in your life who's not treating you the way they should. Thanks for that. Uh, we have a, I suppose, coming from the opposite side of that then, is that um, getting drunk with friends can be very social behaviours. Like, uh, it might help you create memories. Yet God says to stay sober. Yeah. So doesn't that make him the fun police? Yeah, yeah. This is the pushback on the fun police thing, isn't it? Is God really just the fun police because, you know, drinking can be social? Well, there's a number of ways we could uh, answer this one. Um, I, I guess I want to say a couple of things. You can be social without getting drunk. You can drink without getting drunk as well. Um, and also, I think after you've been around for a while, you also see some of the damage that drunks can do um, in families, uh, in relationships. It, it 
may not always be as sociable as a really nice night out with friends. And so there, there may be good reason as to why God has said, hey, be careful here. And I, I, I guess I'm going to go with God on this one and go, I don't think God's just in the fun police kind of category. I, think there, I suspect there might be other reasons why what he's offering you is wisdom worth listening to. So it sounds like you're saying that sometimes those things that God might uh, not want us to do aren't just because he wants to stop us having fun, but yeah. because there might be there's wisdom in it. I don't think God's just arbitrarily going, oh, what can I stop them doing now? I think there's actually wisdom in what God is seeking to bring about in the life of people that he changes. Very interesting. Um, we're going to finish on this question. And just a reminder that like the last two weeks, all the questions we haven't got to today are from both this morning and this evening. Uh, Carl's going to answer in a, in a video that will be up on our website and our social media later this week. So you can continue to engage with these questions. But let me finish on this question. I don't feel like I'm fighting with God and I like living my life as I am. What's so good about changing my life for Jesus? Yeah, yeah. and again, um, it's going to be one of those ones where we're going to look at ourselves and be pretty favorable about ourselves. I, don't, I'm not, I wouldn't treat God like that. Um, you know the best way, um, you know in the schoolyard, let's go back to my school. Um, you know the different way that guys and girls handle dispute resolution in the schoolyard? You know, blokes, we just punch it out and then get on with it. We're mates again. Uh, girls, how do they do it? They don't punch it out so much. They just avoid each other and give each other the cold shoulder and never relate. There's a number of ways you can kind of reject God. You can be the kind of fight it out with God kind of guy, or you can be the just freeze God out, never just ignore him. Um, there's a number of ways we can reject God, some passive, some pretty active. Um, I just think... God can actually, wherever you are at with God, if you've been pushing him away, I think he's got a lot to offer you, both in reconnecting with him and all the benefits of salvation and forgiveness there, and also the, the way that God can help you and change you in the way you relate to other people, in your family, amongst your friendship group, everywhere. So I would say, have a look at what Jesus has got to offer before you reject him outright. Thanks for that, Carl. Um, and thank you for answering our questions and for, thanks in advance for us answering the last few questions. We look forward to seeing that this week. Pleasure. Um, it's been great to have you with us thank and you. it's been great to have everyone watching online with us as well.